is important to note that there are many overlaps between PAPAYA and GDPR. So in terms of uh, lawful processing criteria, in terms of data security requirements or data subject rights, th these are very similar uh, regulations. So as PAPAYA enters into force on mainly all its provisions on 1st of July, South African companies, which will have already worked towards compliance with uh, PAPAYA, will have made a giant step to compliance with GDPR already. Welcome to the Tech Legal Matters podcast by iAfrican Radio. Since 2015, we at iAfrican.com have been doing research and publishing about significant data breaches and leaks across Africa. Some we have reported on publicly, while others were too sensitive and we simply notified the relevant authorities without publicly reporting on them. During the same period, we have also researched and reported extensively on cybersecurity, privacy, and data protection related matters across Africa. What we have always observed is that not many people and organizations understand the legal implications of the various technologies that they use. In this podcast, we will explore these topics and more, with a specific focus on the intersection of technology and the law, how that affects you as an individual, but also from a business perspective. New episodes of the Tech Legal Matters podcast will be broadcast every Friday. The podcast will also feature analysis, insights, and commentary from attorneys who specialize in information and communications technology law. My name is Defo Mohapi, and I will be your host. Hello, my name is Lucien Pierce, an attorney in South Africa. What I have noticed over the years is that technology continues to challenge the legal system. What I mean is that sometimes laws battle to keep up with the speed at which technology is changing and the various new technologies that are launched. At Pukube Pierce Masitela Attorneys, our team of lawyers all have a passion for information and communications technology law and are well versed in the latest technologies and the laws applicable to them in South Africa. With 15 years of experience as a law firm in South Africa, we specialize in information and communications technology, marketing and advertising, and infrastructure related to these sectors. PPM Attorneys has a long list of satisfied clients and an unblemished record. So visit us at ppmattorneys.co.za and talk to us about all your legal matters related to technology. The European Union has been quite at the forefront of taking on big tech companies over the past couple of years. There's been things like tackling Microsoft regarding antitrust or over their web browser. There's been the Google antitrust cases. But more recently, and for the purposes of this episode of Tech Legal Matters, we'll be looking at how the European Union introduced a data protection law, popularly known as GDPR, which stands for General Data Protection Regulation. Joining me today is a French qualified lawyer, Delphine Daverson, who's from France, but is based in Johannesburg, South Africa. Delphine, what something I've noticed over the past two or three years is that after GDPR initially launched, there was a lot of hype around it, companies complying with it, but that seems to have died down. Is there any reason why? Hi, Tefo. Uh, I'm uh, glad to be here with you today. Um, so as you say, GDPR uh, stands for General Data Protection Regulation, and uh, it's been uh, in effect since 25th of May 2018, so it's been two years now. Uh, indeed, there has been a lot of hype around it, but 
I must say, in Europe, um, it's um, taking speed and uh, the regulators are now pronouncing the, the first fines around GDPR and these are quite high fines. So I wouldn't say it, uh, it died up that fast. <laughs> okay, that's interesting. So people and companies are being fined. And what type of cases, can you give us some example of cases that are ongoing and have, have resulted in fines so far or penalties? Uh, one of the very recent and uh, interesting cases is about Google, uh, who's been fined, uh, fined by the French Data Protection Authority uh, for 15 million euros. Uh, and the, this fine has been confirmed uh, for mainly for non-transparency in communicating their rights to the data subjects. Uh, in privacy notices, uh, and especially in their um, advertising um, advertising services. Okay, that's interesting. But let's take it a step back, and maybe for some of our listeners who are not aware what GDPR is and haven't been around, what does GDPR cover? What what is it about? What does it protect? Is it only looking at big companies? Does it apply to everyone? Does it even apply outside the EU? All right, so these are uh, several questions. So basically, GDPR is a, is a general data protection law which uh, covers all aspects of data protection. Uh, it, it is quite comparable to uh, the Protection of Personal Information Act, which uh, is going to be launched in South Africa in the next week or so. Um, so it's very comparable in terms of scope. Uh, what is uh, noticeable is that the GDPR... Um, um, as a far-reaching extraterritorial scope. And that's why it's interesting to speak about it because it applies to companies outside of the EU. Um, you may expect it applies within EU territory only, but uh, it's not the case. So maybe I can expand a bit on that? Yes, please. All right. So first, uh, GDPR applies to EU-established organisations. But the concept of establishment is defined in a very broad way in the regulation. So it applies to the processing of personal data in the context of the activities of an establishment of a controller or a processor in the union, regardless of whether, of whether the processing takes place in the union or not. So if I understand correctly, this can be a company that's a European company, let's say French company, it's processing data, but that data might be processed outside the EU territory. Yes, but it's even wider than that because the establishment uh, is, is understood in a very broad way. So, for example, um, if a company is established mainly or headquartered outside of the EU, but has um, even a single representative in the EU, then it will be enough to consider they have an establishment in the EU. Okay. All right. So that's, that's really a far-reaching far uh, scope. Now, when it comes to the data that's being processed, because the organization is one thing, then there's also the issue of the data being processed. So does the data being processed mean that it's only data that's being processed for EU citizens? Or if I, as therefore, am a customer to an EU company... Does GDPR also apply to me on the customer side? The GDPR also applies in that case. The fact, as, as we said earlier, it's regardless of whether the processing takes place in the union or not. So wherever the processing takes place, uh, it GDPR will apply. 
as long as the company or the has an establishment in the EU and has activities in the EU. Yes. This explains something we noticed earlier this year because there was a big data breach or big hack with a betting company. Yes. So this company is called B2Bet. It's it's based in Mal it's Malta. I think it's in Malta, and it creates betting technology for betting companies. And one of their clients is a Nigerian company called SureBet. Interestingly, SureBet had a German customer. Yes. So in that case, would GDPR apply? Because this German customer is a customer to a Nigerian organization, but their data was leaked by a Nigerian company. So GDPR also provides for cases where it can apply to organizations which have no establishment in the EU. So I think this is the case that you are referring yes. to. Because this company doesn't have an establishment in At the all. EU, correct? It's in Nigeria, yeah. yeah but in this case, uh, the GDPR will um, look at whether you are, as a company, targeting EU customers, okay. EU uh, residents. Citizens? Not, not only citizens, but uh, customers based in the EU. So you don't have to be a, technically a resident or a citizen, it's only the fact that you are based in the in the EU while the processing uh, occurs. Okay. Right? So it's a, a bit wider. So, for example, this intention to target EU custom customers will be materialized by uh, the fact that as an um, e-commerce or e-betting website, you are using an EU language. Uh, you are displaying, you display your prices in EU currency, in euro. Uh, you have the ability for the customer to place orders in EU language. Uh, or there are mention of telephone numbers with an international code, which means you intend to be rich from you know, EU. outside your country. Your country. Yeah. Uh, or even, for example, for the tourism um, uh, industry, uh -huh. if you have description of it itineraries, like from uh, Germany to uh, So your flights are coming from EU, yes. yeah. So this would, this would show that you intend to provide a service to an EU-based customer. And this is sufficient for the GDPR to apply. And in such a case, I mean, who lays a complaint? So we've established that it applies. Now, in such a case that a company that doesn't have presence in the EU is intending to market to people in the EU, and then a data breach happens, who lays a complaint? Is it the, is it the individual country data protection offices? Is it the customer? How, how does it work from a legal perspective? You are supposed, as a as the controller established outside of the EU, to have a representative, uh, a representative data protection officer in the EU, right? That's, I mean, that's the theory. We'll see how it applies in practice. Yeah. Um, but yes, definitely, if a breach occurs and the, this breach. Uh, um, is identified as a data protection breach under the GDPR. The controller has 72 hours to report the breach to a data protection authority within the EU where the, for the customer to which it relates. So the, these are very uh, stringent uh, obligations for the controller. Interesting. It sounds like a very onerous process to require every... Because then, as you've described it in both cases of having a presence in the EU or targeting EU citizens, in the world we live in today, everything happens mostly on the internet. So technically, this applies to almost everyone. To like, like we're yeah. sitting here with you recording the podcast, and there might be EU... And we're talking GDPR, and people in the EU might be listening to the podcast and we intend for them to listen to the podcast and they subscribe to to the podcast through our website through your website so in 
tension is there for us, we're targeting them. Should we experience a breach in such a case, we also might be liable to GDPR, yes? Should you process their data? Yes. yes. If you intend, if you target them, uh, if you obviously target them. Of course, this, this podcast is mainly, I mean, we talk about GDPR, but for South African yes. companies mainly, so I would say we don't, we don't purposely target uh, EU customer at the moment. So okay. the, this would probably not apply. There is also another interesting case where GDPR applies. It's uh, in case where an organization which has no establishment in the EU, again, uh, can be, um, is, is monitor, uh, does monitor or profile uh, EU um, EU customers, EU, citizen, EU residents, uh, provided the behavior being monitored occurs within the EU. So not, not uh, during uh, traveling abroad. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So in this case, monitoring includes the tracking of individuals online to create profiles. So typically what a search engine or yeah, an yes. ad tech company or would, cookies would do. On, on cookies, yes, yeah. uh, OBA, uh, all these type of uh, activities. Um, so including whether where it, this is used to make decisions concerning the data subject. Uh, for analyzing or predicting their personal preferences, their behavior, their attitudes. So this is also an interesting uh, case where foreign, uh, I mean, non-EU uh, companies can definitely be subject to GDPR. That explains something I noticed when GDPR became, came into effect. There have been some websites where if you're traveling in Europe, and you're accessing your website from an European IP address that is outside of Europe, it will display a blocking page saying, no, this website is not available to to EU citizens because they, they wouldn't want to be applicable to that law. Yes, Does that because, explain that? Because, yes, as you say, the, it is an onerous process to make yourself GDPR compliant, yeah. so you might uh, try to avoid uh, this process if it's only, uh, if you don't directly target that market. So you just put a block and don't serve the market. That, that can be a solution. I think it's a bit extreme, but... Uh, well, considering the legal consequences, it is extreme, but yeah. understandable. Now, you mentioned uh, South Africa's Protection of Personal Information Act and that GDPR is quite uh, relatable or similar to it. Can you, some key similarities, like tell us some key similarities and differences between the two? Yeah, this might appear as a challenge indeed for a South African company uh, which is subject to GDPR. Uh, to comply, uh, but it is important to note that there are many overlaps between Popaya and GDPR. Okay. Right? So, in terms of uh, lawful processing criteria, in terms of data security requirements or data subject rights, you, you can, I mean, th these are very similar uh, regulations. So, as Popaya enters into force on mainly all its provisions on 1st of July, South African companies, which will have already worked towards compliance uh, with uh, Popaya, will have made a giant steps to compliance with, with GDPR, GDPR already. So it's, it's, that's quite interesting. So it's, if you've done the work, as you say, uh, to comply with Popeye, which comes into effect on 1 July, you are almost mostly compliant with GDPR. Yeah, it's important to, to, 
to check both scopes and see where are the differences indeed to, to cover these areas, these gaps which might uh, exist between the two regulations. Uh, so that is an exercise that companies which need to be compliant with both regulations have to undertake. Um, as an example, Popaya has a broader definition of data subjects than GDPR has because Popaya includes juristic persons, uh, so uh, legal entities as data subjects, potentially, and GDPR limits the definition of data subjects to natural persons. Okay, so, so organizations under Popeye qualify to be protected. Yes, exactly. So data, uh, like uh, um, non-public data from a, from a juristic person, from companies, uh, are, are subject to Popeye and are protected uh, by Popeye. We'll see how, it, how it, it will be uh, um, in practice, how it will be enforced, but yes. it is the case in the law, and it's a, a main difference with the GDPR. Also, um, it has to be noted that GDPR provides for more rights to the data subject than Popaya, uh, especially the right to data portability, uh, which is, I mean, a, under this right, the data subject can uh, order that their data is transferred to another controller or service provider, for example, um, for telecom services yes, yes. or for a health insurance company. You, you can request. So they have to. You can retrieve your. Yeah. You can request the controller to 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 give uh, your data, to retrieve it and then provide it to the to the new um, to so the new provider. controller. Yeah. yeah. So this right doesn't exist under Popaya, but it has to be guaranteed uh, uh, under GDPR. So you, you have a few differences like this. Also, the, I, one which is quite important is the breach notification requirements. As we were saying earlier, there is a very strict requirement under GDPR to report with, within 72 hours of the discovery of the breach, which is super short and imply that you have uh, very um, uh, detailed processes and incident response in place to be able to comply with this. Though, uh, under Popaya, you have to report the breach as soon as reasonably possible. Which could be a year. What is reasonably possible for an organization, depending on your level of... Uh, mm. yeah. It could be anything, really. Now, we talked about uh, organizations being able to be charged under, under GDPR, but they're not in the EU or have no links to the EU. Can you give us some examples, especially South African ones? Yeah, I think there is another case that we need to, um, to discuss. It is um, the case where under GDPR, uh, the company is not, um, is not within the scope of, uh, of the regulation, but it contracts, it is a, it is a subcontractor for a European uh, headquartered um, organization of our own organization which is subject to GDPR. So typically you are a cloud services provider, yeah. um, not operating at all in the EU, not having data centers in the EU, you are, pro, you are a, a call center, you are a, um, a data center. Yeah. So in such case, uh, GDPR will apply through contractual mechanism, meaning your customer, which is subject to G GDPR, will impose on you uh, as a company to uh, respect, to comply with GDPR, 
um, in order to receive data from the European Union. So it affects your whole supply chain. So your subcontractors exactly. and their subcontractors yes. and their employees must yes. comply. Exactly. Your, and, and it goes further with the GDPR. It's your, your processors and your sub-processors which have to be monitored and there is really a chain of, uh, of uh, controls there. So you should have to, to comply uh, through uh, contractual mechanisms. But this is good. As much as it sounds onerous, it's, it's good because then it forces companies to be honest when they handle people's data by default. So it's from a layman's perspective, it's not just about complying with the law. It's about saying that by default, you must protect the data that you process. Yes. Am I interpreting it correctly? Yeah, totally. And uh, I would say, I mean, the, the controller subject to GDPR has to control the whole chain of its sub subcontractors. Uh, it has to, and, and it has obligation under GDPR to assess uh, the vendors on a regular basis. It's not, it's not just a ticking box exercise where you sign a contract with the vendor and then it's fine. No, you have to uh, regularly monitor the compliance of your subcontractors. You have to audit uh, them, to audit their security measures uh, on an ongoing basis. So it's, it's a very onerous obligation on the controllers, and which go down the, the chain the as chain. well. Yes. Now, I want to talk about a very interesting case. So, you know the True Caller app, right? Yes. That uh, tells you who's calling you and who to block. What I found very interesting with that app is that it crowdsources contact details of people. So, for the first time, let's say I didn't have it on my phone. By some miracle, if I called Nzalo, if I called you, even though I've never installed it or registered with them, you would see my number. And when I read the terms and conditions and their privacy policy and terms of use, I picked up that one of the things they do is that if Nzalo or Delphine installs TrueCaller, you give it permission to go through your address book on your phone. Not only give it permission, but it uploads that to their service. And in your contact details might be my number which I didn't give consent to, to upload to, 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 to their database. Now, further to that, I discovered that the company is registered, I think, in Sweden or something to that effect, which doesn't fully, and this is where you come in now to explain to us, which I understood doesn't fully have to comply with GDPR. Um. I mean, as long as they are registered in Sweden, yeah. are operating uh, their operation, yeah. their establishment in Sweden, um, based on what we said earlier, yeah. I'm of the view that they should, they should comply, comply with GDPR. And the way, and would you say the way they, and, and it's not only TrueCaller, I'm just using an example of TrueCaller. I know LinkedIn do the same thing as well. Would you say the way they go about collecting people's data doesn't comply with GDPR as well? Um, that would need to, I would need to think about it because no it's, a, it's a quite complex uh, case. Yeah. You, you need to check how the notices uh, uh, and the consent uh, yes. request is, uh, is drafted. And I have to admit, I didn't uh, check, check that. That's fine, that's fine. Um, but just generally speaking, can I, away from true color, let's say it's not true color, it's anyone, can I upload data about other people? 
It depends whether it's public data or not. Yep. And in, in Europe, there are also specific uh, regulations relating to, uh, to information which are, um, which are public on, uh, on e-services. So typically ah, a directory, yes. uh, you know, the, the telephone directory, it's, it's specific provisions. They, and they are, that allows for that upload. Yeah, so yeah. you can... I mean, the, the main principle that you can opt out from having your, your, your public information used for this type of purposes, but if, it, it, if it's out there, then it can be used until you opt out. I see, I see. So that it could be a gray area. It's not a straightforward... I th yeah, and we would need to check how the consent request is drafted and how the notices of information are drafted to see if it complies or not. In terms of violations, so we talked about violations, we talked about penalties, you mentioned Google getting uh, penalized. What type of penalties are made provision for in, in GDPR? Is it monetary penalties? Is it operation penalties? How, 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 how extreme or how much can they go to? All right, so you, you have uh, financial uh, sanctions uh, provided for in the GDPR, which are quite high if you compare with uh, Popaya, for example. So um, you can be fined up to um, 20 million euros, or, which is very interesting, 4% of your total worldwide annual turnover. <laughs> so if you see for a company like Google uh, what it would uh, mm. represent, it's, it's quite huge. Um, yeah, so that's the maximum fine you can have. But you can also have something, uh, an other... Um, uh, sanctions which which can be very costly for a company, which is uh, the to stop processing the data. So typically for an ad tech company which would not be compliant or have processing not compliant, so it just means you stop your operation immediately if you can't process uh, personal data anymore or install cookies or... Yeah. Yeah. So that would be in extreme cases where... That's extreme case, yes, where the data protection authorities can pronounce for a non-compliant or non-lawful processing uh, that the company has to stop the processing. Of people's data? Yes. Delphine, thank you for your time. And as we always say on the podcast, uh, as much as we discuss tech legal matters, this doesn't constitute legal advice. Uh, do contact your attorney or contact PPM attorneys. Now for a word from our sponsors. Hello, my name is Lucien Pierce, an attorney in South Africa. What I've noticed over the years is that technology continues to challenge the legal system. What I mean is that sometimes laws battle to keep up with the speed at which technology is changing and the various new technologies that are launched. If you are experiencing this challenge, our lawyers at PPM Attorneys all have a passion for information and communications technology law and are well versed in the latest technologies and the laws applicable to them in South Africa. Visit us at ppmattorneys.co.za and talk to us about all your legal matters related to technology. Remember to tell your friends, family and colleagues that the show is available to listen for free on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer or any other app that you use to listen to podcasts. Also, make sure to head over to www.iafrican.com forward slash radio. That is www.iafrican.com forward slash radio 
and subscribe to get notified on new episodes of the Tech Legal Matters podcast and any other iAfrican radio shows. Stay safe on the web.